Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Man, oh man, I am going to need that water. Come on, somebody. Look, I told the worship team earlier, I said, I'm not so sure that we'll even get to the message today. And then my electric guitarist said, that's cool with me. And I said, I got a good message today too, bro. So it's, it's good. Hey, um, before we start, man, I, I just want to do, I don't do this very often, but before we start, I just want to give an opportunity. Is there anybody that was feeling led by the Lord with something? You had something pressed on your heart during, during the worship that you want to share. Is there anybody that says that's me? I know public speaking is like the number one fear in the world, right? But if the Lord's moving on your heart, definitely, and it's an opportunity to encourage the body, I'd encourage you to do it. Anybody? Going once. Going twice. Time to get on with the message. Amen? Hey, there's this really cool thing I had earlier. Where is that at? There's this really cool thing. It was an offering plate. Y'all, let me go walk around here. I'm walking out of camera. This is not what you're supposed to do, by the way. You're not supposed to walk out of camera. When you have camera. But look, I'm back. It's okay. So uh, how many of you grew up in the church when, when you were going to church that it came time for the offering and they passed one of these plates around? Anybody grow up in a church like that? We've all probably been to a church where, where when they said it's time for the offering and they pass a plate and then they move on. Maybe they pass a, a, a basket around or, or whatever the case is. Um, and it's offering time. You know, we do things a little different here. We don't do an offertory message. That's the mini message in some churches that comes before the major message. And depending on who's giving the mini message, it can turn into a major message. And then you're in church for three hours. Amen. Well, we don't do that. Okay. Um, and so we do have a way to give. You can give at the offering box that's off to the side. But the reason I brought this plate here was because when I first started in ministry, the church that I started out at, um, they actually used a plate for offering. I'm not against a plate. I'm not against the play at all. But I came across this verse. It seemed like this verse was used over and over and over again for offering. And I want to read this verse to you real quick because, man, it gets you excited about offering time. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your, in your Bibles. If you have a paper Bible, you're more spiritual than the others. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 6. I'm just kidding. Everybody's spiritual. Amen. Come on, guys. Don't make this a hard night. Come on, somebody. All right, so Luke chapter 6, real quick, and then verse 38. Do we have that scripture up there? And I heard this scripture, maybe you did too, when you were going to church. It came time for offering, you heard this scripture. And the preacher would get up there and he would say, listen, guys, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Amen. And then sometimes this verse was quoted often, and it said, it says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together uh, to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Have you ever heard that scripture reference for giving? Anybody in the room? Sure we have. And it's good preaching because who wouldn't want to give and get back? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, giving back to you. Wouldn't you want that? Amen. The problem with that is, is I went probably five years. I know what some of you are thinking right now, like you're, you're kind of losing confidence in my pastoral ability, right? I went five years not even realizing that this scripture that we use so often for offering has zero to do with offering. Did you know that? 
I shared on this a little bit back in, in July of this past year or last year. And, I, and the events of this week, man, stirred in my heart, then brought the scripture back up. This verse has zero, has zero to do with your finances. It has nothing to do with your finances. Actually, a verse that you get this excited about, that's a Pentecostal verse, y'all. That's a, that's a charismatic, spirit-filled, Holy, Holy Ghost two-step shuffle verse right there. Because, I mean, think about it. It says, your gift will return to you full press down, shaking together. You ain't seen Baptist people shake, amen. You've seen Pentecostal people shake. It's true. And that verse gets you excited about giving. But if you quote that verse in context, everybody say context. Context is important. Amen. Right? And if you quote that verse in context with the rest of the scriptures that are there, we're not going to get as excited. There's not going to be too many two-step Holy Ghost shuffles. Why? Because that scripture has zero to do about giving and everything to do about judgment. And when I'm listening, not judgment as in God judging you. But it has everything to do with judgment. That is you judging someone else. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 6 real quick. Remember, context is key, church. I'm going to do a little teaching tonight. Y'all don't mind if I teach a little bit, right? A little teaching, amen. Context is key, right? You can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. Did you know that? You can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. If you want to make the Bible say your kids for not listening to you can be stoned to death, you can find a verse for it. I don't recommend it. That's bad parenting. Amen. But you can find a verse for it. If you want to try to throw a verse around and make sure that somebody's not wearing polyester and cotton together, you can find a verse for it. If you want to make sure that No Shave November lasts all year long, you can find a verse for it. There's a verse for it. But context is key. So Luke chapter 6, verse 37, real quick, and this is what it says. It says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back. How much is coming back to you, church? Oh, it says, do not condemn others, or it all comes back against you, right? It says, forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, verse 38, give, and you will receive your gift. How many know that gift right there, that's kind of a sarcastic gift, Because it's referring to your condemnation and your judgment. So your gift of condemnation, your gift of judgment, your gift will be given back to you. It says your, 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 your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. In verse 39, then Jesus gave the following illustration. He said, can one blind person lead another? Won't they both follow into a ditch? Verse 40, it says students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Go ahead and say the word like for me. Right. Become like their teacher. Watch. In verse 41, it says, and, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Verse 42, how can you, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye. 
when you can't see past a log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I want to kind of unpack these couple verses real quick. Don't worry, I have the timer going. And unlike my beautiful bride, I'm not going to reset it twice. Y'all know last week I kept resetting it. She gets, she got, I'm like, hey, 10 minutes, go, okay, 10 more minutes. And then she kept going and it ran out again. I said, well, the Holy Ghost is involved in this. She preached a good word last week, y'all. Amen. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. Look, in verse 37, it says the word uh, judge there. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not judge others. That word judge right there, it's the Greek word krino, right? And it means to pronounce judgment, to subject uh, to censure. I'm pretty sure that's how you say that. Censure, maybe, right? And, and so this is what it means. It means to express severe disapproval of someone or something, especially in a formal statement. Listen. Do not express severe disapproval of someone or something, especially in a formal statement on Facebook. Uh-oh. On Instagram, on Twitter, on part, never mind. On <laughs> y'all, I'm, all, I'm full of myself right now, y'all. Do not, do not express severe disapproval of someone or something, especially in a formal statement. That word censure right there, it means to criticize. That word crino, censure, it means to criticize. Listen to me, church. To lambast, right? To attack, to haul over the coals, to vilify, right? It's, it also it means to condemn or to pull apart or to hammer or to crucify. Do not crucify others. Do not hammer others. Do not lambast others. Do not vilify others. Do not condemn others. Going on in the verse, it says, do not condemn others or it will come back against you. That word condemn means to render unfit for use. We've talked about that before. If you've ever seen a building that is no longer suitable for living, they put what kind of sign on the, on the building, church? What do they put? They put a what? A condemned sign. And that condemned sign is to show others it's unsafe to go in there. It's, it's to show others there's nothing good in there. There's nothing of value in there. There's nothing of importance in there. As a matter of fact, if you go there, you might even lose yourself. That's what condemn means. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't have the right to lambast, hammer, crucify somebody. And we sure, as, as all get out, don't have a right. We sure don't have a right to condemn anybody. We have no right to render somebody unfit for use. Do you hear me, church? Are y'all tracking with me? This is going to be good. We're going to be encouraged. It's going to be lifted up. I promise you. 
We have no right to condemn, to render somebody unfit for use. It says, or, or it's going to come back to you. You ever notice how true that statement is? You ever notice how, how it's amazing how people talk about you after you've talked about them? When we give this gift of condemnation and judgment, it always comes back more so than what we gave. Go over to uh, over verse 38 real quick. I want to show you something. It says, give, watch, give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Do you know that it means literally to knock you on your butt? It's going to make room to knock you on your butt. That's how it comes back to you. Watch this. Shaking together to make room for more running over so it's poured into your lap. Because the amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Every time I read that scripture, every time I come up to that scripture, it is a great reminder. It takes me all the way back to like 10 years ago. When they had this really cool show on TV called The Amazing Race. They may even still have that show. Does anybody ever seen The Amazing Race before? Only it was like like 10, 15 years ago, man, when Prime, like you know, reality TV was big. Amazing Race, Survivor. Y'all remember it came on back to back, right? But there was this one episode in The Amazing Race that stuck out to me. I don't remember anything else about The Amazing Race but this one episode, this one part in, in the in the show. And I think that you from now on, when you leave church today, you will never think about this verse without thinking about the amazing race. And you can thank me for that in just a second. Sound good? Let's go ahead and show that video real quick. Some of y'all are torn right now. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, you showed that in church. And then there's a lot of y'all who are laughing right now. You may be wearing masks, but you're still, I can see it because you're shaking. She was okay. If you watch the rest of it, she was okay. She actually finished the race. She was good. Just, you know, hit her in the face kind of hard. But, but this is my, y'all are bad. <laughs> but this is my point. You'll never again think about it because that's exactly what this verse is illustrating. It says, give and you will receive your gift, return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. That waterman then definitely poured into her lap, did it not? That's what it means. Verse 39. Let's go over there real quick. And it says, then Jesus gave the following illustration. He said, the blind person, can can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Won't they both fall into a ditch? He says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. This whole concept. So, so a blind can't lead the blind. They fall into a ditch. You see, if, if, if my only method of communication to you, my only way that I communicate with you, my only way of viewing you is one of condemnation, that condemnation is going to do the same thing to you that it's done to me. It's going to blind you, right? You ever, you ever condemn somebody? You ever found somebody? Has anybody ever condemned you and the light bulb goes off and you go, oh yeah, I need to, I'm going to be a better person now. 
This never happened, has it? What happens when someone condemns you? When someone condemns you, it hurts, and you close yourself off. And you know what you do? You start writing the script over in your head, and you start validating maybe what they've said. And then you start validating the wrong things that you've said about yourself, and you live in a condemned, render unfit for you state, and you pass it on. Can the blind lead the vine? Won't they both fall into the ditch? The answer to that question is yes. Yes. Condemnation does not lead to repentance. That is a change of mind. It may lead to a temporary change of actions, but it never leads to lasting life change, ever. Ever. Condemnation will make you change your actions as long as you feel bad. As long as you feel guilty. See, when I was young and I was in student ministry, youth ministry myself, when I was young, just a couple years ago, and I was going through student ministry, and I can remember the message that often was preached in student ministry in the 90s, right, What was a message of just repent, repent, repent. It's like every single week you go to church, and every single week the message was geared towards, towards you repenting and getting your life right with God. I'm like, I thought I got my life right with God. I did at this point, but apparently I've done all these bad things in my life. I need to get my life right with God again. Repent, repent, repent. And they would open the altar up. Now, I like a lot of the things that, that my early Christian walk gave me, but some of the things was damaging. Some of the things gave me some PTSD, somebody. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Because I was hearing a message, and, and this is how manipulative that message was. Do you know for sure that if you left here tonight, and you died in a car accident. It was always a car accident. It was never anything else, like a plane crash or, or flood, died with you swimming or anything. It was always a car accident. If you left here tonight and you died in a car accident, do, do you know for a, for a fact, do you know for sure that, that you're going to see Jesus in heaven? Well, when you're 16 years old, 17 years old, and your hormones are racing, you are never sure. Amen. Is that too real? You're never sure, right? And so what did they do? The altar was opened up, and, man, we would run down to the altar, and we would cry our eyes out until we had headaches. And then by the time that we had a headache, we knew we had done enough crying to, 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 to earn the, the favor we've been trying to get. And so now, now, see, I felt bad. I was wrong. I, oh, it was bad. And so I lived right for God. I mean, I would live good for God. I, my actions were good for about a day. One, come on, somebody. Sometimes, not even before I even got to the parking lot. It's true. It lasted as long as the guilt lasted. And when the guilt wore off, I went right back to doing what I did. Condemnation does not lead to repentance. That is change of mind, but it, it can lead to temporary change. But, but here's the reality. Your, your actions, listen to me, church, your actions will always follow what you believe. Your actions will always follow what you really believe. And so if you believe that you are no good for nothing, piece of garbage, then you will live your life. Chasing that. We reproduce who we are. There's nothing good in the message of condemnation. Nothing. Paul said it in Romans 8.1. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. 
None. He starts the chapter with no condemnation, and he wraps up that chapter saying, and just so you understand this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. In verse 42, I got 10 minutes. And then you're going to reset that for me for another 10. (laughs) Verse 42 says, how can you think of saying? Let me back up verse 41. And why worry about the speck in a friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Verse 42, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past a log in your own eye? My God, we live in a time right now where this is the case over and over and over again. Do you know, listen, think about what he's saying. Why would you even say to your friend over here, you got a speck in your eye when I have a log in mine? Won't you remove the log first? Because when I remove the log first, I might then realize that, that the speck I saw in your eye was just my distorted vision of the log that was in mine. Anybody wear glasses? Some of y'all wear glasses. I see you wear glasses in here. Some of y'all don't want to wear your glasses because you came to church wanting to be cool. It's okay. But glasses get dirty. Y'all know that, right? That is a frustrating thing. One day, like some point during the day, you're, you're, you're doing something, and you take your glasses off, and it looks like somebody spit all over it. It's got, like, dried stuff all over it. And you've been wondering, like, what is wrong with going? So what do you, you take your glasses off, and you clean them off, right? Because you know that I, I wouldn't walk up to somebody and say, man, you got a bunch of stuff all over your face. It's right there, and it's there. I take my glasses off. I clean my glasses. And that's what he's saying. We get so wrapped up in wanting to point out, and not this church, y'all, and not anybody watching online, other people. We get so wrapped up in wanting to make sure that we let people know we're right and they're wrong. I said this this past uh, couple days ago, last night, yesterday, a couple days ago, whatever. I I said, social media has gotten to a place where people can can speak, quote, the, you know, the truth to you without any relational investment at all. It's easy to tell people what, they, what you think they should do and how wrong they are if you're not relationally invested in them. We should not be willing to point out anything in anybody else that we're not willing to be invested in. Jesus didn't do that. Even the Pharisees that he called whitewashed tombs, guess what he did? He hung out with them. He was in the synagogue with them, and he was walking around with them, and they were following him around. He was invested with them. The woman who, who had the, the, the issue of blood, she reached out. She grabbed the hem of his garment. What did he do? He didn't just say, here's your healing, and keep walking. He turned around and said, who touched me? What did he do? He invested in that moment. The woman caught in the act of adultery who was brought before Jesus in church naked. That's it, right? So why are you pointing my flaws out? Why are you doing that? Naked. How do y'all say that? My kids make fun of me all the time. Like, random, they're like, just say that word, Dad. Say naked. 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 So they brought her out to church, just, thank you. <laughs> they did. 
And, and, and Jesus made one of the boss moves, I mean, the best boss move. He said, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. And it says, and from the, what church? It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the rocks and walked away. And then Jesus said, you're welcome. And he turned around, he walked away from her. Isn't that what happened in the story? That's not what happened in the story. He knelt down with her and invested in that moment and said, woman, where are your accusers? He would have stayed and talked to her as long as she needed to talk. The Samaritan woman at the well. He told his disciples, go into the village and grab us some food. I'm going to hang out right here. And the woman comes up, and she has this conversation with a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan. Their races don't like each other. He made time. Every time Jesus made time, he invested in her relationship, changed her life, and she went and changed the, the town she was in. Jesus, we want to quote all the time, well, Jesus spoke truth, but Jesus was invested. Are you willing to die for the people you're wanting to speak truth into? That's what Jesus did. He was invested. We should be invested. Y'all, there are some people I don't want to invest in. Can I just be honest? There are some. None of you watching online. No one in this room. No, but seriously, I I just, I go back to that point. It's like, why? Why? You're revealing a lot about what you believe and think about yourself when you are constantly condemning somebody else. You're constantly calling out the flaws in somebody else. You're constantly sharing their, their mishaps, celebrating their mishaps. He said, don't judge, don't accuse, don't vilify, don't condemn, don't hammer, don't crucify. You don't don't have a right to do that as a follower of Christ. Some people have a hard time with this. Amen. We want to be right. People need to know the truth. They need to know the truth. The truth is going to set them free. Watch. The truth will set them free. How many of you have heard it? The truth will set you free. You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But there's a very important part that everybody misses. It says, and you shall know the truth. And it's in knowing the truth that you're set free. Do you know what knowing is? It's investment. Knowing is investment. It's the Greek word gnosko, to have an intimate relationship with. You shall gnosko the truth. You should be invested in this truth, and it will set you free. I'm going to keep going. Luke chapter 36, right here, watch. Luke 6. Let's go back real quick. Oh, wait. Luke 6, 37 and 38. It's not a standalone scripture. We just read it. Don't judge, right? Don't condemn. It's not a standalone. You can't take this passage of scripture, take it out, and just let it stand by itself. It's not a standalone. It's to be read in, in the context of the chapter. The entire chapter needs to be read with it. It it, it reveals uh, some radical thought process. It's a radical thought process. Jesus is breaking down, and this is so important. And please hear me on this, man. Um, This is so important. I'm so watching this message tomorrow, y'all, because I need it. Amen? I told y'all from the beginning, if you're okay coming to a church or your pastor's on a journey, you're in a good spot. Right? 
Jesus is breaking down the difference in, in, in Luke chapter 6. Watch. He's breaking down the difference of what is right and what is right. Did you see the play? He's breaking down the difference between what is right and what is right. See, a lot of us care about being right, but they don't care about the what behind it. Listen, he was showing the why behind the law. This is my point. The Jews, they, they had the law. And they elevated the law. They had the law. It was God's commandments to them that they were to live by. It's a standard by which they were called out from the nations, and it made them special. And so they had the law, and the law was what, church? It was right. Everybody say right. The law was right. And it's the law that we have to uphold, right? After all, that's what they said to Jesus when he said, the law of Moses says to this woman that we just brought in here naked in the church, it says, it says the law of Moses says the right thing to do is to stone her to death. What do you say? And Jesus looks at him and tells him to drop their stones. And he's telling them right now, you're confused because you're focusing on the, the, the right and you're missing the what. When the young rich ruler came to Jesus and said, which, which, are the great, which are the commandments are the greatest? What did Jesus say? He didn't say, thou shalt not commit adultery. He didn't say, thou shalt have no other gods. He didn't say, thou shalt keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. He didn't say, don't cheat on your wife. He didn't say all this. He didn't say that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your what, church? Your mind. And love your neighbor with what? As yourself. And in these two commands, the what sums up all that is right. You see, if you want to live the law of God, you're going to do the best by loving because, listen, that's the important thing. You love God, you're not going to cheat on your spouse. You love your, your wife, you're not going to cheat on your spouse. You love yourself, you're not going to cheat on your spouse. You're not going to cheat on God and create an idol to worship. You're not going to, you're not going to reject him. You're not going to take his name in vain. You're not going to do all this because you're walking in love. Because at the end of the day, love, what church? It wins. That's the what behind this. Verses 37 through 42 of Luke 60, it's the what behind it. Watch, watch this. And, and so you back up a little bit further, you go to, to the, again, the whole chapter, but the Beatitudes are right there. You ever heard the Beatitudes? Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and then Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, God blesses you who are what? Poor. And he said, for the kingdom of God is yours, and God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And God blesses uh, you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. And it says, and what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. It says, there's another scripture. I know I'm all over the place tonight. There's another scripture where it says, when you love one another, the world will know that you are children of your Father who is in heaven. He said, blessed are you when people hate you, not because you know the scripture and you're quoting it at them. When people hate you, not because you're pointing out all their flaws. He said, when people hate you, people, blessings come to you when people hate you because you're being like Jesus. You follow Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He loves, he loves people to death. So he did. 
I'm almost on a promise. But he, so he quotes these beatitudes, and then he gets this part, and he says, he says, verse 23, when that happens, be happy. When hate, people hate you for being like Jesus, when people hate you for loving them, be happy. I'm working on that one. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. And here's this moment. He's talking to, talking to them about the church. The church their time. He said, rejoice when they hate you. Who hates you? The church. They killed the prophets. I face more criticism from people in the church than I do from anybody else. Because I dare to talk about how good God is. People flip out. They get all upset and they send me really mean messages and tell me how I need to repent. Because I preach a message that makes it too easy for people. Listen, I got I to keep, okay, last, I'm going to get back on track. That's the gospel. If the gospel is complicated, if you break out a sweat in trying to do the gospel, then it's not the gospel. The gospel is easy. God did it. You get to enjoy it. That's it. I love that. One of the kids in the back said, Pastor, drop the mic. So he goes to the B2s and he tells all the B2s, and then watch what happens right after this. He goes, I told you I'm teaching tonight, y'all. Y'all are here because the Lord said so. Chapter 6, verse 24. Watch, I'm almost done, I promise. I need to stop lying because I think I'm almost done. Thank you, babe. Oh, I see what you did there. Okay. So verse 24, watch. Watch this. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have only, uh, for, for you have your only, wait a minute. Let me read that again. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. There is a comparison that Jesus is doing right now. And you know what he did? He came in and he flipped the whole thing upside down because part of this culture that was happening right here, part of this church culture that they had back then was this, that if you're rich, you're blessed by God because there's a scripture for that. And you, there is. And if you have lots to eat, it's because the blessing of God's on you. And, and if you have this, it's because the blessing of God's on you. And so it's always the good things. And they thought if all the good things are happening, it's because you have the blessing of God. But see, if you're poor, you have a curse. And if you're hungry, it's because you're cursed. The Lazarus and the rich man. You remember that story? The rich man thought he was God's gift. And the poor man, they, he dies. They both die. And it says, and the poor man was with Abraham in his bosom, and the rich man was in the hot place. Remember that? There was this mindset that said, we're better than them. Remember Job? 
when, when all that stuff breaks out with Job, everything falls apart. His kids die, and his house is taken away from him, and his dog runs away. And they write a country song about him. His friends come, and they sit down with Job, and they spend chapters trying to convince Job just to confess the sin that he's hiding that obviously destroyed his entire life. Because if, if, if bad things are happening to you, it's because God's curse is on you. And if good things happen to you, it's because God's for you. And Jesus said, let me just flip this whole thing around. If that's your mindset, you're missing it. Because the one who's poor is closer to me. The one who's hungry is closer to me. After all, isn't that what he said to him when he separated them on one side and the other? And he said, you can come here because you fed me when I was hungry and you clothed me when I was naked, naked, and you visited me when I was in jail. Remember that? And they said, Lord, when did we do all that? And he said, when you did these to the least of them, you did them to me. He's flipping the whole script. He's telling them. This. And you can almost get this idea. You have this idea almost like, like man, the, the poor people are finally for once hearing this Messiah talk, and they're so excited, and they're like, yes! And then Jesus continues, watch. And we're almost there. Luke 6, verses 27. And watch what it says. But. Do me a favor, say but. It says in verse 27, it says, but. To you who are willing to listen, now I'm including everybody, the poor people I just talked to, the hungry people I just talked to, the rich people I just talked to, the fat and prosperous people I just talked to. He said, but you who are willing to listen, he said, I say to you this, here it is, love your enemy. Let me just tell you right now, this scripture, this set of scripture right here, we're getting ready to read is the most figurative, literal set of scriptures I've ever read. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean this, that Jesus is speaking, and we are literally, this is not hyperbole. This is not metaphoric. This is literal. Jesus is saying, this is literally what you're to do. And, man, we want to make this metaphor. Well, that's not exactly what he was saying. He really love your enemies. I mean, kind of like, you know, be respectful to them, but not really love them. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. And if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do only good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners in full return. I hate that they're using the word sinner, by the way, there, because that's not exactly what it means. But verse 35, and it says, and love your enemies. He did the Oreo method, y'all. Started out with the cookie, gave you the cream. 
and finishing him with the cookie. Verse 35. Love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. Did you notice that I didn't say your reward here on earth will be really great? But wait, there's that scripture a few down that says, give and it's given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Men will give unto you. Wait a minute. Then your reward in heaven will be very great. You will be truly and truly will be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those. <laughs> Y'all, this, this is a struggle. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Did you hear me, church? For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And you know what the very next verse is? Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back to you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. In verse 38. Give, and you will receive your gift and return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Come on, church. How will the world know that we are followers, disciples of Jesus Christ? How? By how we love one another. Y'all think I preached that message for you? But I just preached that message to me. And we recorded it, so I'm watching it tomorrow. <laughs>